I don't remember announcing the reception for new members that's going to follow this service in the Virginia Gilmer room. So uh, if you get a chance, stop by there at the conclusion of worship and uh, speak and welcome new members. Also want to welcome those who are worshiping with us today uh, by way of streaming on your TV or uh, those who are worshiping in our non-traditional service in Rejoice. We're all in worship together. Our New Testament lesson, we have two parables this morning as we continue in our reflections on the topic of prayer in this season of Lent. Two parables that Jesus told, both of which are dealing with the same thing in slightly different ways. Uh, the first passage I will read is from the 11th chapter of Luke. This is on page 72. If you did not bring your own Bible with you, you can open to a pew Bible. Page 72, let us listen for the word of God. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked. My children are with me in bed. I cannot, give, cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And the second parable, turn over to page 81, the parable of the widow and the unjust judge. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Richard Moo, uh, formerly president of Fuller Theological Seminary in California, now uh, stepped down from presidency, he's just on their faculty. But in one of his books, he tells an interesting story about a, an American tourist who was visiting in the Holy Land in Jerusalem. And he went to what we often call the Wailing Wall. Actually, it's the Western Wall, the official name of it. And there were a number of Orthodox Jews there beside the wall praying. And one particular older man had all of his paraphernalia on. He kept bending and bowing and scraping and beating on his chest and raising his hands as he leaned against the wall and was praying. And 
The tourist observed him for a while. And when the man finished and was walking away from the wall, he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He said, no, what is it? He said, what are you for when you're at the wall? And he said, well, I pray for the health of my family. I, I pray for justice. I pray for righteousness. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem and peace throughout the world. And the tourist continued, well, how effective are your prayers? And the man responded, it's like talking to a wall. And so often our prayers do seem like that, don't they? They just get not farther than the walls, not higher than the ceiling. We pray for health and the biopsy comes back positive. We pray for the safety of our children and they fall into patterns of abuse or addiction or they become the victims of their own poor decisions or decisions by others. We pray for peace and religious fanatics around the world, be they Christian, Jewish, or Muslim, intentionally maim and kill innocent victims. We pray for justice, and yet we know so often that the guilty go free and the victims are ignored. You and I, whether we like it or not, are children of the Enlightenment. We have grown up in a scientific and material age. We are almost naturally conditioned to doubt and to distrust prayer. Anything that cannot be demonstrated or verified without question is not to be taken seriously quite often. We want clear evidence. We want proof before we believe anything. And so many people decide because they can't observe the results of their praying that it must, must not be much to it. It's a pointless monologue. No one's listening. No one cares. And even the great spiritual teachers over the years, the masters who have taught us so much about prayer, admit in their own lives to going through long dry spells where God seemed either distant or absent altogether. When I was doing my study in preparation for this series on prayer, I read something somewhere. I wrote it down, and I've gone back to it in my mind many times, but I never wrote down the source of the quote but this is what the quote says and I think it's on target the, the quote is prayer may be the one Christian discipline most universally applauded and ignored the Christian discipline most universally applauded and ignored everybody's for prayer few people practice it more of us praise the discipline of prayer than actually practice it. And I think the chief reason why so many people fail to pray more in their individual lives is because, in truth, they're not really fully convinced that it makes any difference at all. And yet the Bible seems to be clear when it tells us that God hears and responds to the pleas of his children. James writes that the prayer of a righteous, the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective and you may think oh well that's my problem I'm not righteous consequently my prayers are not very effective or powerful and if the only way that a prayer is heard or responded to is you, if you have to be holy and pious in some way and those adjectives are never used to describe my life so prayer serves me no purpose I presume and yet scriptures are clear that God answers all kinds of prayers from saint and sinner alike, from skeptics and deep believers. And so that causes us 
to ask if we've ever found ourselves in this position. Well, what can I do then to kind of enhance my life of prayer? To enable my prayers to seemingly be more effective. To get beyond the walls and and the ceiling. That's a key question for us. And Jesus gives us some profound wisdom and divine insight on this topic of prayer. In our last uh, Sunday together, we learned that we are to pray expectantly, confident that God hears our prayers, that God is capable of answering those prayers and of doing anything God chooses to do, but also confident of the fact that God knows best and God can see in ways that we cannot see the future and the past and what not only is in our best interest as his children, but is in the best interest of all people. So pray confidently, pray expectantly. This morning I'm dealing with another aspect of the Lord's teaching on prayer, prayer, and that is to pray persistently. Don't give up on prayer. Paul writes in Colossians 4:2, be persistent in prayer. But long before Paul wrote that, Jesus was teaching that in his life and ministry. And the two parables we heard this morning are illustrations of what God is teaching. Now these prayers can easily be misunderstood, these parables. So often people wrongly interpret them and do more damage than good when it comes to their own prayer life. The context of these two parables is different from us. They come from a different time and culture, but they made sense in their day. And the first parable uh, in Luke 11 says that a man comes unexpectedly to visit a friend. He has nothing to feed him, so he goes at midnight to his neighbor, knocking on the door and saying, can I borrow three loaves of bread because I have a guest and I don't have anything to lay before him? Now, how would you respond? Someone came knocking on my door at midnight. I'd probably call 9-11. I don't know. But uh, in that culture, at that time, hospitality wasn't just an option. It was a requirement in the ancient Near East and among God's people. When people were traveling across country or from one place to another, they couldn't check in on Expedia or Trivago or anything like that. There were not a lot of inns except in larger towns. And so you, if you had a friend that lived in the area, you would frequently go by without warning because there was no way to let them know you were coming and ask if they could stay with you. That was a requirement of Middle Eastern and Jewish uh, hospitality. But anyway, this man who is visited by a friend in the middle of the night has nothing to feed him. So he goes to his neighbor, a neighbor who resists. He said, go away. It's late at night. The doors are locked. The kids are in bed. I'm not going to get up and give you anything. And then Jesus points out that even though this this man balks at the request of his neighbor and friend, he winds up helping in the long run because of the man's dogged persistence. He simply refuses to take no for an answer. Now the point of this parable is not that we ought to hound God till he finally gives in and does what we want. You could easily conclude that. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants his listeners, his disciples to know that God is anxious to hear and to answer. The point is that if a grouchy neighbor awakened from sleep in the middle of the night will eventually respond to an urgent request for bread... How much more, how much more will a loving and concerned God of ours respond to our pleas? So the point is that God is unlike 
this bothered neighbor. In fact, God is dramatically different from the begrudging neighbor. So pray boldly. Pray persistently and refuse to accept that your prayers are being ignored or not listened to. Or that no one cares. Likewise, in the second parable in Luke 18, we are to make a contrast between this wicked judge and our Heavenly Father. The unjust uh, judge in the story is one who cares neither for God nor has any respect for his fellow human beings. Luke gives us a hint on this parable because he tells us in advance what the purpose of the parable is. We don't often have that when we go to the parables. But Luke says, then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and not to lose heart. So in this story, this parable, we meet a a judge, a bad judge who has no respect for God or others. This poor widow comes to him begging for him to intervene in a cause of justice. Widows, of course, were the most vulnerable people in the ancient Near uh, World without a husband. Uh, Most women, most widows uh, had no status, had no rights, had no security. And quite understandably, Jesus spends a good bit of his life in ministry in ministering to widows back in that day. At any rate, the widow's only hope for resolution to this matter is this scoundrel of a judge. And so she, she keeps going to him, asking for his aid and his help. And finally, we read that the judge relents, not because he wants to, Not because he cares a whit about this widow, but he wants to get her off his doorstep. She's pestering him and bothering him. So then, is our God to be compared to this unjust judge, stubborn and without compassion because he doesn't respond immediately as we want God to? Are we to keep on nagging God until we wear him down? And finally, he does what we want. Absolutely not. We are intended in this parable to see the contrast, not the similarity, between our God and this unjust judge. If a dishonest, heartless judge would yield in time to the persistence of this little widow woman, how much more, how much more will our God be responsive to our persistent cries to him? Ah, yes, you say, but uh, God is mighty slow, mighty delayed, it seems, in responding to our prayers. True enough. But what may seem slow to us as a response may simply be God responding in a way that we could never see or imagine. God is not ignoring us. God is not putting us off. And God may be even using our limited and narrow request to serve a larger good a greater purpose that we're not in a position of seeing or understanding. So God's perspective on slowness is different from our own. We have a verse in 2 Peter that says, But do not forget that one, dear friends, one thing, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. So God's perspective on time differs from ours as well, And God may be answering our prayers, even as we pray, but in ways that we cannot see. We are to persist in our praying. There was a prayer that was found, I think it was by a Confederate soldier uh, in the Civil War. I know it comes out of the Civil War. I think it was a Confederate soldier. It was found in his goods after his death, and this is what he had written. I ask God for strength that I might achieve 
I was given, I was made weak that I might learn to obey. I asked God for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be health, health happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might really enjoy life. And I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I am among all men most richly blessed. Amen. So we may never discover or know the why behind the requirement for persistence in praying. But we do know that Jesus tells us to persist. Not because God wants us to beg or or nag. Not because God is forgetful and needs reminding of what's on our heart and mind. I can't this morning give you the reasons behind the why of persistent praying. And yet, in light of my own experience and study, I can give you what I think are some benefits from persistent praying that I would call your attention to. One, persistence reveals our sincerity to God. How much are we really interested in seeing this this prayer answered? We have a friend that's sick. We offer a prayer for them. But that's the last God hears from us about that. Does that indicate a sincereness, a sincerity, or genuine concern for this person for whom we are praying? Persistence deepens our faith in God It enables us to trust and believe in God even though we cannot see and despite our disappointments in our life. It requires no faith to believe in things you can see or to believe in things that you can prove. But when faith is acted on, then faith grows, it's nourished, it matures, and it satisfies the soul. Persistence in praying also keeps ever before us our dependence upon God, our need for God. When we continue to pray for things that are uppermost in our hearts and minds, we are reminded that we are dependent creatures. There are many things in life, the greatest things in in life, that are beyond our power to achieve, and we need help from our God in those Persistence in praying strengthens our bond with with God. I told you early on that prayer is about relationship. The Christian faith is about relationship. And nothing so enhances our personal relationship with God as our communion, our placing ourselves in God's presence day by day as we go about our various activities. Knowing that we are in relationship with the one who above all else loves us unconditionally. And wants what is best for us and for all of his children. And lastly, our persistence in praying reminds us daily of our continuing work with God. I will expand on this idea in next week's message on on prayer. But suffice it to say at this juncture that our persistence in praying reminds us daily of those things we ought to be doing and working toward if we're genuine about the prayers that we are offering if we are willing to cooperate with God in the resolution of these prayers. 
For after all, we dare not ask God for anything we are not willing to work for. Prayer is no escape from work, nor is it an avoidance of personal responsibilities and duties. I remember from when I was a child hearing a story. When you hear it, you'll know how old it must be. But the story was that two little boys were going to go fishing before school one morning. So they went to this pond not far from their school, and they got caught up in catching a lot of fish, and suddenly the time got away from them. They learned that they were, realized they were going to be late for school, and they were going to be in a lot of trouble with family and with the teacher. So they started racing towards school, and one little boy said to the other, can we stop and pray that we won't be late? And the other boy said, no, let's run and pray that we won't be late. <laughs> to pray is not to absolve ourselves of any responsibility. But it's to be honest with God. I will work toward the resolution of this for which I'm praying. So if I'm going to pray for health, for myself or others, but I continue to abuse my body or to exercise little personal restraint, then this is disingenuous at best. To pray for peace while we continue to harbor grudges against our neighbors is offensive to God and indicative of our own personal sin. To pray for the poor while we continue to live in extravagance and luxury with selfish disregard for the plight of others, it's not just disingenuous, it's diabolical. And if we pray for the effectiveness of the church and for the spread of the gospel, and we come to church only when it's convenient for us, or we contribute only what doesn't interfere with our preferred lifestyle, then we may be fooling some others, we may even be fooling ourselves, but we most assuredly are not fooling our God. Because our God hears not only the words that we offer when we offer words in prayer, but our God reads our hearts and knows our mind and seeks to respond as he knows best. And this may be how God measures the substance and the sincerity of our praying simply by our persistence in doing so. So if you struggle with prayer in your own life, if you ever have or if you ever will again, Remember the Lord's teaching on prayer, to pray confidently, expectantly, expectantly, knowing that God is capable of doing anything you ask, but knowing also that God can see what you can't see and has your best interest and the best interest of all in mind. We can be obedient, even if we don't understand the why. You could preach this sermon and say we pray persistently because Jesus told us to. We may never understand why, but we can be obedient even when we don't understand. I know I always hated it when I was growing up, and I would ask my mother or father, why? Because I said so. You've heard that, haven't you? Well, sometimes it's like that with God. God has reasons we can't see, but we can obey even when what we can't see or understand. So pray expectantly, pray persistently, and in doing so, you will better know the yearnings of your own heart and so will our God you will better comprehend your need of God and the necessity of your trust and faith as you make your way through life and you will better see what your continuing work in cooperation with God is to be and how you can be a part of the answer to the prayer that you are praying in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen